Right, we're just a few weeks away from our first ever live edition of the Race F1 podcast on February 12th. So far, we've got a great venue, King's Place in London, as part of Pod Live. We've got me to host, Scott Mitchell Malm to give lengthy answers, and a very special guest in Ted Kravitz. So, Ted, we've got to work out what we're going to talk about. What's there to look forward to in 2023 that we can get into in the live show, do you think? Let me start by telling you a story about Murray Walker. There you go. Good start. Um, He always used to say at the beginning of a season, you know, Formula One has an amazing ability of reinventing itself year by year. And I used to think it's a funny thing to say, but you know, the more I think about it, the more he's right. And even though we don't have new cars this year, right, slightly different, the race, bright height, blah, blah, new tyres, we do have so many other new things that are worth talking about. We've got new drivers, we've got rookies, it's more than one, a couple of rookies, and we've got new team bosses. That's what I'm all so looking forward to to seeing how that's all going to work and then of course we've got the small matter of the world championship will we be at the end of 2023 talking about max verstappen a three-time world champion there's loads of stuff to look forward to this season that's going to fill about 40 minutes of our 75 minutes scott can your song and dance routine fill the rest um it probably could if you would um if you would unshackle me and just let me you know have have full uh, creative license on it Part of it for me that I think we can get into really nicely is the subjects of rivalries, old and new, because I would like to think we're going to see some familiar fights in 2023, but we're also going to see some new ones as well. I'm really optimistic about that. So I think that's a good subject for us to get into. And obviously it won't just be us. Maybe we'll uh, have a few interesting insights from our audience as well. Well, this is great. The running order is coming together very, very well. I think we've got to have some kind of audience interaction. We'll definitely have a few questions. We'll have a few bits of feedback from the audience. Ted, do you know anyone who's handy with a microphone and who's good at doing a bit of broadcasting moving around? Because we could do with someone who could go out among the people. Well, what are we? February the 12th. Is it going to be warm enough for shorts? Yes, of course it'll be warm enough for shorts. I'll bring my pink shirt and my shorts on and I'll get down there with a the microphone. And of course, I think we should also hang around a bit at the end, say hello to a few people. Will there be the chance, Ted, to give a few autographs? Definitely. Does anyone actually ask for autographs anymore? But um, yeah, no, we can, uh, we can go and meet everybody and say hello. Yeah, it's going to be great. All part of Sport Pod Live, live podcast festival. We're there on February the 12th. That's a Sunday. Nice early afternoon slot. So if you're an F1 fan, it's just going to be a great event to come to. Hopefully we've got so much to talk about. We're going to struggle to fit it all in. So to get your tickets, head to sportspodcastgroup.com forward slash pod dash live. That's sportspodcastgroup.com forward slash pod dash live. Get your tickets and we will see you there. The Athletic. The race is on, and Williams has appointed Mercedes strategy boss James Vowles as team principal following Jost Capito's departure late last year. But what qualities does he bring to the struggling team, and how big a job has he got on his hands to turn around the fortunes of one of F1's underachievers? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to answer those questions and many more are Scott Mitchell Malm and Mark Hughes. Well, Scott, January 2023 is the gift that keeps on giving. Yet more news. Yeah, and it's nice to have something like this where uh, I think it's fair to say not to uh, um, water down our own credentials, but I, I like news like this where nobody really sees it coming. Uh, the Andretti Cadillac announcement was sort of in the same vein where you you know that there is a story rumbling on in the background. In that case, it was Andretti's F1 interest. In this case, it's Williams needs to find a new team principal. But I really like these ones where it's like, oh, that's a left field twist in, in this story that we knew would have something coming. So... It's, it's really fascinating, and, and there are lots of different strands to this, so this should be, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm up for the discussion. This should, this should be quite fun. It's also something we talk about a lot more these days, isn't it, Mark, with team principal changes? It used to be that it was relatively static, but 
something like six out of ten teams have changed their team boss in the last year or, or just over. I think Christian Horner's the longest running going back to 2005, but it, it's so much more volatile than it once was. It is, yes. And I guess um, over the years, the, the, the type of team principle has is, is changed. You know, it used to be guys that owned their own teams. And now it's a sort of mix between um, corporate employees and um, shareholders and part shareholders in the case of Total Wolf. And, um, and yeah, it's, 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 so it's, it, is, it is a bit, by nature, a bit more volatile than when everybody just owned their own teams and they were the boss. Exactly. And the job spec shifts a little bit depending on who takes the role. Obviously, James Vells will be a different kind of team principal to Jos Capito, who was also CEO. So there's quite a lot to get into, not least because Williams has had such a difficult time, I say, of late, really over the past 20 years, let's face it. But let's start off, Scott, with this announcement. As you said, it was a bit of a surprise. What do we know about why Williams have gone for him? So I think it became clear at the end of last year when when obviously when Jos Capito and um, FX de Maison were released by Williams, that there had been, there'd been a significant, significant shift behind the scenes at Williams. And the the different camps, the pro-Capito camp, the, the anti-Capito camps, were, were, were sort of broadcasting different messages. It was either that the, the senior team figures had lost faith in the Doralton vision and maybe the investment wasn't going to be forthcoming, the ambition had slipped, whatever. Or the other way around, Doriton had just thought, these are not the people we need to, to lead the team. And the, the more I heard, the more it sounded like the latter. It sounded like Doriton became more hands-on through the through 2022. They they looked at things more. They didn't like the, the direction that was being taken and they decided to act. And I think that signing vows it un- underlines that because... From the timeline, we, we've spoken to, to, to James Vowles, we've also spoken to, to Toto Wolff, a, a nice sign of the amicability between the two and the, and the friendship they have and the fact that this is being done in good faith is that they there was an organised press conference with the, with the two of them together, so no hard feelings there. And from the timeline that, that James gave us, I think it lines up very much as Doralton decided to make the change and then chased him. I it didn't doesn't feel like there was a concrete plan in place to replace to replace the likes of of Capito. So so there is here um, there's a shift in in William's strategy. They've gone for someone that doesn't have direct team principal experience, but has been gaining more and more responsibility in a massive team. Knows how a massive successful team operates, and probably is a very, very, very good fit for a team that has, I think anyway, a a, a culture problem at Williams. I, I get the impression that they just, while there are there have been efforts over the years to improve things, that they haven't been able to make en- enough improvements. So I think they've identified someone who can come in and be that single figure to lead the team. He's in as team principal, he's not as CEO. So I think it's very much a, a, a focus on not just sort of where he came from. It's not just, I will just sign someone from Mercedes because they're a really good team. I think the responsibilities that he's had, where presumably his strengths were there versus where the weaknesses are at Williams, I think they've looked at that and just gone, okay, if we're going to be ambitious and have someone run the team, it's a little bit of a gamble, but it's one that should have a high upside. 
Yeah, and I asked him about it in the press conference that we all attended, and he said that that culture, imposing the right culture, was top priority for him. Obviously, it's not the only priority. There's a lot that needs to be dealt with at Williams, but that's very, very high up the list. And I, I guess the appeal, Mark, is that he's effectively a disciple of Toto Wolf, isn't it? Williams can't go and poach Toto Wolf from Mercedes. So the logic is the next best thing is someone who's part of that inner sanctum, who knows how Wolf goes about things, who can bring a little bit of Mercedes magic to Williams. Partly, yes. And also, they've replaced um, a, an older guy who delayed his retirement for a much younger. Um, presumably more ambitious guy, somebody who still feels he has um, something to to prove and, and to progress in his career. And so, yes, it fits with Doralton being more, um, feeling the need to be more ambitious. And I think, um, yes, he, James will have learnt uh, an awful lot at the the the, um, at the side of Toto Wolf, and he was very much uh, um, a confidant of. Um, Toto, uh, you know, he wasn't just the strategy director, and he wasn't just the guy that you hear on on the radio. He was um, he was much more involved behind the scenes in um, all sorts of areas, and is um, you know a, a, an engineer as well. He's got an engineering background too, so um, a pretty broad range of um, skills, and um, we got to see how that. Um, develops in in terms of um, his leadership and uh, he's been part of a this core of team going right back to when it was BAR um, so he's been there with this this core of people with um, um, people like Ron Meadows the the, the, the team the, the sporting director and people like um, Simon Cole who's been there with them the, the, that little nucleus was was very very much. Um, they, they worked very, very tightly together for, as we say, over two decades and through all sorts of team sort of identities. And uh, I think, you know, this is a, this is James sort of um, taking his first steps out on his own in a, in a way, but um, it gives him a good, good experience of, um, of steering a ship by himself. There's um there's there's one other element to why go for him um that I think we we should cover and this isn't meant in a sort of disrespectful way to to to, to James at all um but I think availability uh, comes into it as as well so there's two sides to that um one is who is available to Williams for them to to, to look at and if you look up and down the grid I would be surprised if someone like Martin Budkowski hadn't made a pitch um it depends if i've i've heard that he is keen to get back into to to formula one i i I don't know how true that is because that is only one one place i've heard that um but with his experience from renault and the fia and so he would have been an interesting i think experienced figure whether it would have worked for him whether he would have been the right fit for williams who knows but there aren't that many um there aren't that many sort of experienced people who have have actually run f1 teams available and Williams, because of their position on the grid, they just don't have the the the, the pulling power to 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 you know poach someone, you know, a, a team principal or or you know a right hand man like a second in command, that 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 kind of thing, um, in the conventional sense. So I think that there's that, and then there's availability on Vowles' side in in that which I suspect we you know we might touch on a little bit more um, in a bit, but that element of what Mark was saying with him being an, an a really close ally of, of Toto Wolf all with the 
the intention of giving Val's experience of the kind of responsibilities and what you need and the and the skills you need to be a team principal one day. Val's told us, you know, he it, something he's had in his head for a while now is to become a team principal in the end. So with that opportunity very much not on the table, at least in the short term at Mercedes, and that being in such a close relationship that Mercedes are willing to let him go to pursue it, he's available in that sense. You know, he was under contract, he was released from his contract to take this job. So there's an opportunity that Williams can offer that another team or his current team can't. And that's a that's a really nice but narrow window of opportunity for Williams. If there's there's anything that they had that could have tempted someone away from another team, it is an opportunity that is simply not available to them at their current employer. And that and, and that's the box that they ticked with Vals. Yeah, and it's certainly a big task for Vals to take on. I think he goes into it with his eyes very much open. I think it's good for Williams to have somebody coming into their first team principal role. Obviously, there were some problems with the culture that Yoscapito was trying to impose on Williams. There were differences within the team, and there were people on both sides of that. It wasn't just Capito against everyone. There, there was a real schism there. But what Vals has is because he's new, he's got a chance to do kind of things his own way rather than saying, well, when I ran this, that and the other, it was like this. Plus, he has the credibility from coming directly from Mercedes, a team that has been there, done that over the past decade in Formula One. Plus, on top of that, he seems to have the understanding that he can't just go in and treat it exactly the same as Mercedes. So from that perspective, all very promising. But Mark, what can you tell us about James Vells as a person, his way of thinking, his way of doing things? Because I think for a lot of people, he's just the guy who pops up on the radio to tell Valtteri Bottas to get out of the way or to apologise for Lewis Hamilton for a, a tyre choice or some such. Yeah, I mean, he's um, a highly academically intelligent guy. Um very logical in his um, thought processes that comes through, very articulate when you talk to him, get him to explain something. He's one of those guys that can explain complex things and make them seem quite simple, um, which is always the sign of somebody that knows their subject very well. He's um, He's got an emotional intelligence as well. He's good with people, which is another important quality. And he's, um, he's, he's personable, he's likable, um, he's someone that is ha, has got ambition but he's not um he doesn't come across as the the big i am he, he's, he's he's quite um you know low key in, in in that sense and yeah i'm sure there's we'll see an, another side of him as well as as he um transitions into the the role of um of the boss you know that's effectively what he's got to become now um he's headed up a department before but now he's he's going to head up a team so I think he's got many um, qualities which could be deployed very effectively. Um, just remains to be seen how good a fit it is with the situation and uh, the, the personnel there. And he is a proper racer, if there can be such a thing as well, in that he's been on that team basically his whole professional career. He literally does compete uh, on track. He uh, does a little bit of fun sim racing as well. So he's someone who's really steeped in racing. But yeah, that point you make about the the way he talks through things, the logic, etc. It shows he has a good grasp of what's going on. I think we will see him applying that sort of thing uh, to to Williams. But what did you make, Scott, of what he was talking about in the press conference in terms of his comprehension of the challenge at Williams? Because he obviously talked it up as a great opportunity, but there's got to be some trepidation because Williams is a long way off where it needs to be. So there is 
a risk of it being a bit of a poison chalice. Yes, it's your first team principal job, a huge opportunity. You've got to take it. But he won't really know what he's going into. But do you get the impression he's got at least a fair idea and the right approach? Well, yeah, he's you know he's not, he's not an idiot, and uh, he he knows the the results speak for themselves. You you can have absolutely zero inside knowledge of what has gone on for for Williams over the last ten years, and just have one look at the constructors' championship in that in that time, and you know that you're going into a team that's in trouble. Like so, th- there's just a basic awareness element of just the reality is Williams has not been competitive. So James will know that going there. You, you you can't just walk in and like oh, I'll, I'll make a few tweaks here and there and then suddenly we'll be a, a, a top five team again that, that just won't happen um but I think he's also I think he's also quite grounded Wolf described him as you know t- basically totally without ego um so I think that there will there will just be on just in terms of his um, personality I think he will be realistic about what can be achieved I think he'll be going in thinking of it as a, as a long-term project. That will have been key with whatever conversations he has had with Doralton and, and the representatives there um, to make sure that they're on the, the 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 same wavelength in terms of timelines and actually how much work there is to be done. I don't think he'd have taken the job if he went into those conversations and the response was absolutely unrealistic um, because you can argue that he's in a bit of a no-lose situation because Williams is in such trouble that his reputation is not going to get knocked if he goes there and fails because it looks so bad that it seems that one person just can't go there and fix it. But I, I just don't think he'd walk into it if he just thought it was absolutely guaranteed to be a nightmare. So there's an element of um, you know realism in his, his expectations. But one of the things that struck me when we were talking to him was... Um, I felt there was real earnestness in his enthusiasm and his um, optimism for it. He, the way he was talking about um, being, you know, having loads of ideas buzzing around his head at the moment and how excited he is just, just to get started. And, and I did feel that that was sincere. I didn't feel like that was just being put on for, for our sake, but as he acknowledged, he hasn't been able to go to the factory. He hasn't spoken to the design team. He he recognises where the weaknesses are, but he has no real inside first-hand experience of just how bad it is and, and how big the workload is. So I think that will be his next sort of probably three to six months. We'll be working out exactly how big a task he has on his hands, but he's coming from an excellent reference point. So I suspect if he's keeping a, a tally, whether it's a mental one or, or or a physical one, I think he will start to add items, specific items to that very, very quickly because there there will be no shortage of things. Um, you know, the, the the cliched in tray will be quite will be filling up quite quickly. And of course, one interesting thing is that he's not the CEO. Uh, he was asked if they'd be bringing in a CEO, so there's no plan for them to be doing that. It does sound like the the board and the existing senior management are getting a little bit more involved in that. So Val's focus, I guess, will be on the racing side of the team, by which I mean not just on track, but the, the design, the technical side. Obviously, they need a technical director, so there's a lot to be done and a lot to be achieved there. And the other thing that's worth noting is he does have experience of the bad times. People might say, well, he's been at Mercedes where everything's been great for the past decade. Well, largely, yes, but he was also there when it was terrible in 2007 and 2008 as... Honda in the BAR days when it was very up and down. He experienced the whole withdrawal of Honda and the brawn rising from the ashes. So 
he did say that actually having that experience of the bad was also beneficial. So he's not just someone who's coming from a an easy life in a team that's really good into something totally alien. Just to pick up on that in a slightly more specific way, he as a result of that, what what he has seen at Brackley in different forms, the the the, the BAR Honda build up, and then the Merck build up as well, because there was a quite a big process of growth wasn't there when Mercedes took over Braun because of that stagnation with the lack of investment through the Braun year how how appropriate or how relevant do you think that is from uh, he kind of knows what a modern F1 team needs to go through to modernize as well so it's not just it's not just the sort of broader personal thing of he's gone through difficulties he knows how to handle them the specifics of a team growing to be successful in modern F1 Given we know that Williams is a bit stuck, has been stuck in the past. Everyone I feel that's gone through there in a senior capacity in recent years has said Williams is stuck in the past. That's going to have direct relevance as well, surely. Yeah, certainly, and it's going to be all about identifying the positives and keeping them, and then there will be those in Williams, despite the struggles, and then building on those. But just to finish off on this, Mark, do you think? The character he is, as you talked about earlier, is the kind of person that if you point them at established F1 people, they will instantly take to. Because that's quite important when you're trying to change things. There was obviously a certain uh, friction between Capito and some of those within the team. But do you think Vowles will be seen as, right, he's one of us, he gets it? And will that instantly kind of make it a little bit more frictionless in the early stages when you're trying to get people on board? I think he will. I think he's uh, quite an inclusive character um and pretty down to earth and as you say he, he's someone who competes himself in in bike racing as, as well as he's done a little bit of cars as well um so he he's not someone that will be seen as some autocratic character dictating how things should be and creating ill feeling from those who've been there a long time um, but at the same time, he's going to still need to um, show those leadership qualities. So it's it's quite a, a balancing act, actually. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, I can I can see no reason why he can't um, pull it off. Yeah, it's one of those things where a lot of the constituent ingredients and the qualities are a positive, but of course, you never really know how someone will fare until they're in that position. Of course, there are external factors. That's probably the more important thing. It's not just, is he capable of saving Williams, if you want to put it that way, but also whether Williams is capable of being saved. Well, Scott, let's talk a little bit more about Williams. This is probably the biggest call Doralton Capital has made since buying the team back in 2020, the combination of Capito going and then Vals coming in. What do you think the appointment of Vals tells us about the approach Doralton is taking with this team? Well, I, I sort of hinted at this earlier. I think it's becoming more hands-on. Um, I think that is probably... I think the fact that there isn't a direct CEO replacement for Cap- Capito at the moment... Um, probably speaks to that as well. I suspect you'll have um, other people in the background sort of looking at things from a more sort of broader business perspective. I think it's an acknowledgement that perhaps one of the weaknesses for Capito was um, maybe trying to do a bit too much too soon in terms of the broader Williams business. Um, like the focus on marketing, for example, was massive, massive under his watch. It was so big and I... I there's one story I remember being told about the um, the launch last year with the with the show car, the 
the delivery on the show car, uh, they apparently they, they they spent days shooting that car to get to get the image imagery right. But it, it wasn't even the real car. It, it was a, it was the the new Williams branding on the show car, and, and and Yost was apparently very proud of that branding. But then that branding quite quickly didn't change fundamentally, but it it was reduced in its prominence as the year went on. Because do you remember they had to strip back the livery quite a lot in the opening months of the season because they had, desperately had to save weight because the car was too heavy. So I feel like the focus was perhaps in the wrong place or they maybe spread themselves too thin as, a, as an organisation. So I think Doralton is saying we need to get back to basics a little bit and focus on making sure that as a Formula One team, we're just doing everything that, that we need to do at the factory and 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 on the racing side. So I I think it's a I think it reaffirms Doralton's commitment to the team after some slightly shaky suggestions of uh, you know are they reconsidering their investment? Do they want to scale back? I I I would be tentatively optimistic that this shows that's not the case. I don't think you would I think if you were phoning in this Tef1 team, I think you'd have done a non-controversial internal promotion to team principal. I don't think you'd have gone out of your way to identify a key figure from one of F1's best teams and convince them to come and join you if you weren't still serious about what you wanted to achieve. Yeah, and although it's been quite a bad start to this era for Williams, the conditions, the prevailing conditions in Formula 1 with the cost cap, the way the Concorde is things like the ATR, the regulations, it's still quite promising. It's not like it was under the previous, I'll say under the previous Concorde, it wasn't really a single Concorde, it was lots of agreements. Williams was just falling further and further away financially, which is why it ended up massively in debt and eventually they kind of had to sell. So Williams isn't in a in a terrible position. It can justify investment, but I guess that's the big challenge, isn't it, Mark? They've already made a bit of a misstep at the start of these new regulations. Now, they were never expecting to be leaping miles forward, but they would have hoped to have been better than comfortably the the, the tenth best team, ultimately. That's four times in the last five seasons they've been last in the Constructors' Championship. So they've got off to a stuttering start, so they're a little bit behind the curve in that regard, aren't they? Yeah, and it's... Um... It's not just the performance that, that um, they're being forced to focus on. It's the financials of it as well. And, of course, they are linked. Um, but they, their lack of relative lack of results over the last few seasons has put them in not a great position financially, even within the current franchise system. It, it, it's, not, it's not been a profitable entity. Um, now... That's it, there is some serious work to be done there, and it's at a very delicate stage, I would say, because you know if if, if that decline is not arrested, um, the financial decline, it 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 becomes quite a serious problem, I'd say, going forward. And the performance, although it had been improving up, up until this year, it had reached rock bottom in 2019, and was steadily sort of moving back towards respectability, but that sort of stuttered to a, a bit, sort of flatlined a little bit uh, last year. So it's at that very tricky stage where it's sort of balancing really. <laughs> and um, and you, you, you feel just just one one more move the wrong way um, could be very serious. But um, you, if, it, if it gets going in the right direction, we could hopefully see that that progression that we saw between 19 and 21 um, continue. 
but it's yeah, it, it's not it, it's not a team in great shape um, in terms of uh, it, not just its, its its finances and its performance, but in terms of the the the, the atmosphere in the place. You know, the, the, there's been very um, high staff turnover, and that may just well be a reflection of the how the previous management was dividing opinion uh and, and that that problem may be may be fixed with with this appointment you'd, you'd hope so i think the positive thing they've got is that at least it's an environment where if say doralton say right we're going to sink in x amount of money that money will go a lot further than it would have done five six years ago being sunk into a formula one team so it's easier to see the potential reward for for an investment so that's the the thing that means it's not just a, a kind of lame duck that they might just want to keep going as a as the kind of minimum viable product if you like so i think that's quite positive and doralton have always made a virtue of the fact they're long term and they're strategic and they that they take a, a sensible approach with everything. So hopefully they'll make it on that and they they do genuinely see this as a, a long-term thing. Although we should say there's plenty of entities who are interested in the Formula One team. All the Andretti controversy tells us how hard it is to get a place. So it still has a value as a way to buy your way into Formula One. But Mark, let's talk a little bit about the scale of the challenge reveals and what he needs to do we've mentioned a bit the culture but day one when he goes in what's on the list of things that need to be tackled where's the low-hanging fruit that can find the 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 easy wins that will get you and the team to a a decent level to build from well of course it's you won't be able to influence the 2023 car or any of the processes on that um but yeah he's just got to take a reading of um, the, the 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 factions within within the group and with a with a view to try and unify um, the, every everyone's you, you know have everyone pointing in the in in the same direction. I think that's got to be his first thing, and to instill some confidence from the, the workforce in him. And I think only then will he be in place to start looking at exactly where they're at in terms of facilities, exactly where they're at in terms of the wind tunnel. Um, does it need more personnel? Does it need different personnel? Which departments are working well? Which departments need to communicate better, even if they've got good people in them? Um, is, there, is there a silo mentality between departments? What, all, all of these things, all of these things are the fundamentals, even more than the hardware. Um, but also the hardware as well has got to be looked at so that because and that has financial implications too so yeah i would think his first order of business is really more of a personnel one and more of a inter, uh, uh, culture matter really um and trying to get that sort of aligned um and then yeah look at look at where future investments and recruitments have got to be from there yeah, there's already some long-term work in place because Capito was always talking about the the ten-year plan, basically, rather than looking really, really short-term. And they had various ideas, like there was a, a tentative plan; it wasn't greenlit or anything to basically build a new factory on their their same grove sites. Whether they feel the need to do that in the future, I don't know. Whether that that intention w- will have changed, but that's still going to be a, a long way off. Whatever happens, but I, I guess Scott. This is a team that has been in decline for quite a long time, hasn't it? And the thing we always come back to, it's the key performance determinant, isn't it, is the aerodynamic side. 
they haven't had a strong car aerodynamically for a long time. You can actually make a case that really this team has never got back to the cutting edge in F1 aerodynamics-wise since Adrian Newey left, and that was a quarter of a century ago. So I guess that's an area we'd be looking fairly closely, and obviously the technical director appointment, Vales did mention that that's something they need to get done. That's, I guess, one of the big ticket items that's going to have to be dealt with fairly quickly. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know um, whether or not, uh, because because Doralton obviously were, were looking at a new team principal as a priority. I wonder sort of where they are in that process, if it's someone that, that Doralton will lead um, the process on recruiting or if uh, Vals will have a say in it from now, if the process has only recently started, if it's been going on for as long as they've been looking for the team boss and what influence he can have over that. And his early influence, now that he has been handpicked by Doralton to lead the team, could be quite interesting because I think his immediate priority will have to be to identify and address any damage that's been done over the last couple of years. And that will be on the personnel side because there were a lot of stories. Um, This isn't to say that the previous regime was um, universally hated uh, there, there were almost as many stories saying Williams needed someone like that to come in and shake things up as there were stories about why it was a problem. But there was it was divisive. There's no question that that, that Vowles is inheriting a device a divided team or a team that suffered at the hands of a divisive policy. So he will need to make sure that yeah everyone is aligned. But beyond that, I'm wondering if he might be able to have the autonomy that say Andreas Seidel had when he joined McLaren spent a a, a few weeks really looking at where their weaknesses were because it's quite similar in a way with their the fact that the the Andreas Seidel James Key first big thing at McLaren was come in assess things and go you desperately need a new wind tunnel and simulator and then they got they had Zach Brown's backing, so they went to the board and they were able to convince the board that this was worth in, worth investing in. So there's two things there that I would say apply to Vows and Williams. One, will he have the same level of support? Because there will be, there are bound to be things that he walks through the door at Grove and within a day has worked out this needs to be improved, this is just lacking. So will Dorothy meet him with that and say, because ultimately you, you, you've picked the guy, so now you've also got to put your money where your mouth is as well and back him. So that's one element of it. The other element of it is what was put in motion by FX, for example? What changes were being made to the infrastructure? Where was money being spent? Where were things being upgraded? And actually, did he know where was best for that? Because he didn't have F1 experience, he came in from the outside, it was a fresh perspective, but was it the right one? Vows with his experience of the organisations at, at Mercedes will be able to look at that and say, yeah, that's money well spent. Or why are we doing this when we could be putting the money towards X or Y? So those, I think, are going to be some really, really important elements of the first few months of his leadership. It'll be interesting to see what they do with the technical director. I can't see Vows being given a free hand to take a, a bit of a flyer as Capito effectively did with FX to Maison, because that was very much, look, I've worked with this guy before. He wants to do F1. He's up to it. So I'm backing him to the hill and we're going to do it our way. I don't think they'll allow that, but Bowles has worked with plenty of people in Formula One over the years. So he will have an idea of who the people are, probably similar to a James Vowles type thing, but on the pure technical design side, probably aero side potentially, who are kind of wanting to be 
a technical director but need to move to get that opportunity. A little bit like, for example, with Dan Fallows moving from Red Bull to Aston Martin. You move down the grid and you get the top job, having previously uh, been in a senior but not quite that ultimate top job. So that might be the way to go for Williams. It's interesting whether they will favour a more experienced hand. And there's not that many F1 technical directors with very, very recent experience who are active. And obviously with the transformation of the cars, the older experience is still relevant, but there's not that many in that pool. I'd throw everything at Andy Green. Well, he'd be a great choice because I think he'd be a very practical choice. He's very methodical, good way of working. He's got that more overreaching role in uh, in in Aston Martin. It's clear Fallows is kind of the hands-on guy. So yeah, he, he is an interesting suggestion. I, I think he's just someone who could potentially be available if in any way he feels like the way Aston's evolved, the people that have been recruited or whatever, just takes away from what he thought his role in the project would be. I don't know if that's the case because obviously he will have been a key part of recruiting people like Fallows. But does he feel that he personally has the faith of who, uh, of Lawrence Stroll, for example, you know, ultimately he was a key part of the leadership alongside Otmar Zafnauer and Otmar left. So does he actually want to remain working there? I'd, I'd 100% be sounding them out. And if you've got some, if you've managed to tempt someone like Vows on board, then clearly there's a decent pitch there from a Dor- Doralton perspective. It would be because Green has been promoted from just technical director at Force India and Racing Point to chief technical officer at Aston Martin you can argue it's a step down, but then potentially you can sweeten it in other ways or make it a slightly more overarching technical role, whatever. But there's clearly there's clearly something interesting about that project that tempted Vows. Obviously, there was a specific element of it was a direct promotion and a new job for him. But I think there'll be some selling points that Dalton will be able to use and maybe Vows will be one of them. Maybe bringing in someone like that from Mercedes will be able, you'll be able to wave that at people and say, look, it's worth coming here because we, we've we got big, big things planned. Yeah, certainly. What do you think of the idea of someone like Andrew Green, Mark, or does someone else leap to mind? Yeah, I think Andrew Green's an interesting one. Um, I, I think he might be very reluctant to leave that team behind just because the, the, the relationships he's got with so many of them there and the, the part he's played. But, yeah, you, who knows? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's nobody obvious screaming out. It, it, it would probably be somebody that's um, maybe a, a senior aerodynamicist somewhere else or, a, 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 you know, a, a, an assistant to the chief designer somewhere else. It, it, may, it may be somebody like that, somebody that – those inside know how good they are, but they've not yet got a you know a, a, a high profile. Well, there's certainly plenty of people around, and also with the fact that the cost caps come in and big teams have cut back, there's quite a lot of F1 experienced personnel knocking around the place, and that's also applying to if they need to strengthen in other areas. And there are very good people in Williams. James Vales was at pains to stress that, so it's not like you've got to tear out and throw everything away. I actually think that the the race team trackside is pretty effective and has been pretty good over the past few years. It's always difficult when they're dealing with a, a not such competitive car to to judge, but I think that side of things is pretty good. So you'd be really focused on the design side, particularly the aero side. So lots of work to be done there, and no doubt Vals has already had conversations on the QT with people he knows who work there, who have worked there. So he'll already have a bit of an idea for the potential direction. We'll get back to the pod in a moment. But first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. 
No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Well, Scott, let's look at the bigger picture because inevitably there have been suggestions that Val's joining Williams will lead to closer ties with Mercedes, with Toto Wolff having his man in there. It's already got its power unit gearbox, so they're natural allies, if you like. Do you think we should read anything into this move from that perspective? Yeah, I, I, I think there will be, I think it's certainly no bad thing for the likes of Wolff and Mercedes to say, okay, well, one of our own is now leading one of the other nine teams on the grid. So, it's hardly a bad thing from that point of view. Um, Vals was obviously at pains to stress that his priority has to be uh, Williams and prior allegiances go out the window as soon as you do put on your new shirt. So, but obviously he wouldn't, he wouldn't say anything else. Um, I think, I think it only makes sense to, to have an alignment there. Ultimately, there was already an inherent implicit alignment on the engine side as well. What was good for Mercedes engined teams would mean that Williams and Mercedes naturally aligned on 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 things. Um but there is there, there I put it this way that there is inevitably going to be um some funny looks from other teams and people that you know, dislike the idea of a Wolf disciple being in charge of someone else. It'll only expand Wolf's influence. It'll mean Mercedes can bully Williams into doing it. That that is how cynically I think it will be interpreted. How realistic that is, I I don't, I don't know. The, the the politics of F one are complicated and often a little bit more nuanced than than people think. For example, this year you're gonna ha- we're gonna have a pally relationship between Mercedes and Ferrari for the first time because Fred Vasseur is now the Ferrari team boss and him and Toto get on really well. So. It is. It just isn't quite as clear cut as as people think. The I think the biggest thing for Williams and for Vows will be if they're smart, and he obviously is. How do I leverage that relationship with Wolf and Mercedes in our favour? If his main priority is Williams, he will inevitably be looking at ways to improve that. And there's been a little bit of a suggestion over the last couple of years that maybe the Mercedes Williams ties were sort of fading a little bit. There did seem to be a bit of positioning or closer positioning between Williams and Red Bull, how real that was actual actually behind the scenes is, is hard to gauge, but it certainly looked like that on the surface. So I, I think a re-establishment of the, 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 the relationship is no bad thing from Mercedes' point of view, and there'll be ways for Williams to, to work that to its advantage as well. Ultimately, it is the worst team on the grid. It has the, 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 the most that it needs to do to improve, and there's if whatever you can take from Mercedes to try and improve that, I think, 
I think in the short term is probably worth considering. So no, no doubt that will an element of that will be on Val's mind. Yeah, and he's at pains to stress that as soon as he puts the Williams shirt on, he is a Williams man. That will be his focus. And I, I don't think there's anything in the suggestion that he'll go there just to serve Mercedes' interests. It will be all about making Williams work. But actually, working closely with Mercedes can have advantages to uh, to Williams. And also, Mercedes can have some advantages because it's always good to have a bit of a, a power block uh, there. And they will see it as a chance to have a little bit more leverage over, over Red Bull, thanks to how the various teams are aligned politically so there's always that dimension there but yeah I don't think it makes it a a subordinate Mercedes team it doesn't make it a Mercedes B team but there are benefits for Williams in aligning itself with uh, with Mercedes more I mean one interesting thing obviously is they'll be evaluating their uh, the the facilities they've got obviously Williams does have its own wind tunnel they they built up a a new one, sort of the middle two thousands, it was open, sort of two thousand and four ish, something like that. I think so. They'll need to evaluate that. They could, if they think they need a new wind tunnel, then do a deal with Mercedes to use their wind tunnel once Aston Martin's deal runs out because they've got their own wind tunnel coming. So that there could be deals like that that could help Williams in the interim while they're ramping up facilities, etc. And it's always easier to have a dialogue when you've got a, a good relationship. So I think it can be just as beneficial for Williams, probably more beneficial. Uh, for Williams in terms of having Val's there. But Mark, you in that press conference did put this question to Toto Wolf about whether it's part of a plan to give Val's real world experience of running an F1 team ahead of maybe returning to Mercedes in a leadership role down the line. What response did you get to that? And do you think there's anything in it? Um, Toto was um, quite clear in saying that's not what's driven this move and that it was very much James's initiative. But he then went on to sort of say that, you know, never say never. And sometime down the line, you you know, that the, if it comes a time where he is team principal, as opposed to he is one third shareholder in a team, feels that he's not able to fulfill that role as effectively as someone else, he would have no hesitation in standing down from the team principal role while still being a, a shareholder in a team. His, his main focus is to see the team continue to prosper um you 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 could see it if you were cynical that the the toto has this plan in his head and he's 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 the puppet master pulling all the strings and he's thinking right five six years down the line i want to uh, retire from this role and and just be the financial guy in the background um who do i want well i'd like it to be james Valls, but i I don't feel he's experienced enough so let's offload him to my old team williams and let him get uh, some experience there and then we'll bring him back i don't think it is quite as um calculated as that but I'd be amazed if it hadn't gone through Toto's head once James um, filled him in on what his plans were. And obviously, if if James doesn't succeed at Williams, it, that, that that sort of falls by the wayside. But if if he is seen to be the man who has turned Williams around and over a period of years has taken it from absolute rock bottom into respectability or even competitiveness then, yeah, his stock will be very, very high. And if that coincides with that moment in Toto's career in time where he feels he wants to step back from the front line and not not be so um, intensely involved in the day-to-day stuff, then, yes, who's to say? It wouldn't, it wouldn't be a, a crazy thing. Um, but it's, 
Yeah, I, I, it just struck me. The reason I asked that question, it just struck me that that actually might be the way it worked out. That opportunistic element of the succession planning, I think, is a really good point because um, once um, once Toto knew that this offer was there and that he didn't really feel it was right to stand in Val's way because it was such a great opportunity, that potential for that to be, okay, but this could come back to benefit us in two, three, four years' time, whatever, uh, plays, I think, into the mentality that Mercedes has shown it has towards succession planning. And this is it's a slightly different version of it, but... For example, you know, vows will be replaced internally, whether it's by one person or not necessarily in a specific role, but by the other members of the strategy team that had already taken over in the second half of last year, the hands-on management of strategy at race weekends. Vows took a step back. He wasn't on the pit wall anymore. Mercedes has already got that in mind. They've had that in mind for a while. They always have this kind of I would call it like an active succession plan idea in in place. We've seen them for different reasons, whether they've left the company or moved into different roles, replaced the likes of um, Aldo Costa, Andy Cowell, James Allison when he moved up uh, and Mike Elliott stepped in. Mercedes has a lot of faith in promoting from within. When Toto leaves, I will be stunned if they don't promote from within. But if Vowles has been at Williams for two or three years, I still still think that would count from Mercedes' point of view as promoting from within. So I, I, I see that I see that dynamic succession planning element. I definitely, definitely see some merit to that. So it's a very, very sensible train of thought, I think, from Mark. But I suspect that it's not like he'll have been pushed onto Williams. They'll say, well, you have him for a few years on loan and then he'll come back. I don't think Williams and Doralton would have recruited him on that particular basis because that wouldn't make sense. The one other thing we should have to address is almost the flip side of the coin because there are people who suggest, well, if Vowles was so good, why would Mercedes be willing to let him go? So is there anything in that? Is it just Wolf doesn't really mind because James Vowles isn't someone he minds about losing? Well, I think, um, like I said before, like uh, there is the there's just the simple fact that Vowles has had being a team boss in mind for a little while. The stuff that he's been doing at Mercedes has partly been with a view to making sure that he has the responsibilities to to develop the qualities required to be a team boss. And there's no room at the inn as far as Mercedes is concerned in terms of taking the job there. So I think that there is, I think that there is a good collaborative culture at Mercedes that also means that they do have each other's individual interests at heart as well. I don't think there's, any evidence over the years of Mercedes deliberately stitching up someone who wants to achieve more personally on a professional level. So I can totally, I, I do genuinely believe that that Wolf would have gone, okay, well, we don't have that. We can't match that offer for you here. So as much as I don't want to lose you, because he talked about it being a big personal loss to him because he loses one of his right-hand men. I don't think that wants to stand in his way. Wolf will put it as, you know, someone wants to, to fly the nest, you need to let them spread their wings, basically. And that, I think that's what they've done. And then I think because in the second half of 2022, there was a shift away from Val's being the strategic mastermind for the team and it becoming more of a um, communal effort within the strategy team. Val's had come off the pit wall. There isn't that direct tangible loss anyway, whereas if he was the person that was still making all of the calls himself, maybe that would have then been different. I mean, cynically, you can look at it and say that because Mercedes has come under scrutiny in the past for 
strategic blunders and, and Vowles has had to take responsibility for it. Maybe, maybe Wolf genuinely doesn't mind him going because he actually doesn't see him as a as a real loss from that point of view. Um, I, I, I think the only way you can know that is to read Toto's mind and, at, and actually know for sure how highly he rates Vowles as a, as a strategy person. But I think there was enough of a loss across the whole thing. His, his role as part of that key management structure, a, lead, a senior leader of people, um, and someone with so much experience, not only of the team, but of Formula 1, like there, there will be a loss felt there. I just suspect it's probably offset by not wanting to stand in his way. I think ultimately people will say, well, why were they willing to let him go so easily and not have a lengthy gardening leave? You touched on it, but fundamentally there's no point in denying someone an opportunity they want. That just that comes back to the whole company culture thing. That's just something that happens. It's the natural way things work in life. And there are people who take a real dislike to people who want to move on from companies. But all you really ask is at least to be given an opportunity to say, give a counter offer or say, well, actually, you've got that, but we could do this. There was nowhere for Vols to go within Mercedes that could match this. So it's logical to allow that to happen. So just to sum up, Obviously, we're all broadly positive about the appointment of James Wales, but Mark, how likely do you think it is he will succeed? Because there's a lot of moving parts there. Whether he succeeds or fails isn't necessarily even down to what he does, because sometimes just the situation isn't going to work. And the historical trend with Williams is that the situation is not good, because nobody has really succeeded there for a very long time. This is a team that they ended their wind drought in 2012, and we sort of thought, oh, we can forget about that enormous wind drought. But I only really thought of it yesterday that the wind drought they're going through now is even longer than that one that ran from the end of 04 to 12. So they're in an even bigger hole in, in terms of uh, of that lack of success now. Yeah, it's a massive job he's taken on. I don't think we sh- anyone should un- underestimate that, and it's it's not going to be uh, an easy job at all, and it's going to take some time because there is a time lag built into all of these systems that teams are so big now. So, yeah, there's room for all sorts of interpretations of, of, of what defines success over what time period. Um, but as long as we can see a consistent, progressive move in the right direction, then, you know, he, he's earned he's earned some more time, as it, as it were. Um, where that curve um, flattens out uh, that's when I guess the the world gets to decide has he succeeded or has he failed there Um, but it's it's certainly not um, a a done deal that uh, this is is it this has put Williams back on the right track and that's all that was needed I think the problems go deeper than just this yeah, there's always some short-term gains that can be made. A good example is when Red Bull acquired Jaguar. They actually had a pretty reasonable season in 2005, that first year, even though that car was still a Jaguar-era-designed car. They just ran fairly sensibly in that first year and did all right. So there's things you can do from a low starting point just to show some of those green shoots. But yeah, it is going to be... on so Really, Scott, you're almost immediately looking towards 2026 already, aren't you? Because that's the next rules. Revamp. It's going to be at least a couple of years, really, before any really big picture stuff can have a, a big effect. Yes, absolutely. And uh, that'll be a big part of the those early months when I talked about um, Val's just needing to make sure that um, he has that that commitment from Doralton behind behind him. It's it, I'm going to make that comparison to McLaren again. It, it's, it's having that 
realistic view of the timeline. It's make, being aware as an individual that this is going to be something that needs a few years to put all the pieces together. You then need the board support to actually fund that and also to have some patience with you if you don't have the results in, in the short term. And then the really key thing, which I feel like has happened at Woking at McLaren, but I'm very questionable about Williams just because there's such a divisive element within the factory. It seems anyway, of those that pine for the for the for the Frank Williams era and that how family run it all was and felt that that was the right way to do things versus those that think it needs to modernize and change. You need the workforce to buy into that as well. So you need them to really think that Vals and the way he ends up leading the team is right for the team, assuming it is obviously right for the team. They don't have to go along with something that is genuinely bad and problematic. But if Vals is trying to do all the right things and he's gearing things up for 26 and it's a long-term project and blah, 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 and Williams goes along with that as an entire workforce and really buys into it, then suddenly 2026 becomes a, a genuinely realistic project. You, you look at it timeline-wise I'm going to stick with the McLaren analogies just because I really do believe in it. If you say, and obviously in terms of competitiveness, it isn't like for like, but if you say that Williams now is where McLaren was in mid sort of 2018 when they realised that there were some real fundamental issues there that needed to be resolved and they were bringing in new personnel to, to do things. Now, there might be some short, some low-hanging fruit in terms of the car to boost uh the quality in, in, in the interim. But if you look at McLaren over 2019, 2020, 21, 22, now it isn't a straight line. They've had some dips along the way, especially last year when they slipped back behind Alpine. But there's always been elements of progression, including last year, things like the pit stops, where McLaren improved to being the second or third best team in, in Formula 1 at pit stops, depending on whose metric you buy into. All the while knowing that there is a sort of broader picture of, broader thing in the background happening to improve things with the infrastructure projects designed to have an impact from 24 onwards and we trace that back to Seidel arriving in 2019 so that's five years before you even have a car that is built with the technical infrastructure that you have said is imperative to be a big team again that's five years right so if we're looking at that now from a Williams point of view it's 26 27 as the perfect timing because there is that regulation change going. So you have everyone in that organization has to buy into this as a medium to long-term project. Otherwise, Vows will just be another name that comes in with high expectations and the right ideas or the right intentions and then fails. And within a couple of years, we're, we're back here recording another podcast for another senior Williams staff turnover. Yeah, exactly. And I think increasingly the attention has to go towards whether Williams itself is able to be turned around. That's the key question because there's been a few different regimes there over the years. So there are external factors. And I hope that this is a team that is willing to shift its culture a little bit. Yeah, retain all that heritage and that historic pride. There's still something about Williams as a team, but those glory days are in the distant past. So you need to try and find ways to make it work and and create a new Williams that's in the spirit of that, but really is a team for the third decade of the 21st century rather than one that feels a bit rooted in the past so that's Vals's big challenge will he succeed we don't know can he potentially yeah I think he's a very interesting and good appointment and I think we can be confident he'll go in with the right attitude the right approach and he certainly ticks quite a few of the boxes but as to whether it'll work this is one where we just have to wait and see what noises we're hearing from within the team how they respond to him what progress is made 
Well, thanks very much, Mark Hughes and Scott Mitchell-Malm, for your insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen. Loads to read there, whether it's on Williams or all the other topics going on at the moment. Check out our sister podcasts, including our Formula E podcast, IndyCar, Bring Back V10s, and also have a look at our YouTube channel. Well, once again, I've got to say, January's proving very, very busy in the world of Formula One. We're only a few weeks away from the launches starting to kick in. So stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.